0: welcome to the movement made better podcast powered by stick mobility we are your hosts dennis dunphy and neil valera today we have friend and colleague on brendan Rierick, strength and conditioning coach business owner author so we will let brendan introduce himself and give a little bit of background about him
1: first of all thanks for having me on gentlemen and now you are the first person to say author that T- tickled me inside a little bit. <laughs> I was like, ooh, 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 I haven't heard that one yet. Uh, uh, first of all, I am a strength and conditioning coach and I have a massage therapy license. I tell people that's a tool in my toolbox. So I'm always a strength and conditioning coach. First, and I use these, I always tell people my hands are just really exact foam rollers. To kind of answer the author part, I guess, currently I am writing a book called that's called Coaching Rules. It's a how-to manual for a long, successful career in fitness. And it's a play on Michael Pollan's Food Rules. Have you guys read Food Rules?
2: Mm -hmm. I haven't heard that. So
1: what I love about it is that it's super simple. It's straight to the point. It's just little nuggets of wisdom. And so what I've done is taken everything I've learned over the last 12 years in the strength and conditioning field from working with Coach Boyle at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, Uh, I would put Dan John in there as one of my mentors as well. And then from all the coaches that I've met, Dennis, everyone that performed better, the, the hundreds of coaches I've gotten to meet over the years, I've just learned so much from them that I've put it in a book that I've called Coaching Rules and it's 105 rules and it's broken up into three parts. It's programming. So keep it simple, do no harm, communicate clearly, and give great demos. And then the final one is serve others. So basically, it's not about you anymore. It's about them. So those are the three categories that the book is broken up into. So that answers the author part. Strength and conditioning part, I have mentioned I grew up in, I always say I grew up at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning in Boston, Massachusetts. Worked there from 23 until I was... 26, 27. Long story, I moved to California after working there for five years out here in California. I've worked in San Francisco for a while. I worked south in San Jose and I recently moved to Brentwood, California, where my wife and I were planning on opening a gym before COVID. And so, what we've done actually is we can talk a little bit more about this after. Um, I went to the town and got a permit to do personal training and small group training in our garage. So actually we were in the midst of redoing our entire garage and building the gym in there. So it's 400 square feet of gym instead of 3000 square feet like we wanted. But I guess we kind of pivoted or adapted to the situation at hand because I didn't want to open a brand new business. That's 3000 square feet at this time, especially not knowing where, everything going with COVID and, and all of that. Also have strengthening, uh, you mentioned businesses, Dennis. We also have Certified Functional Strength Coach, uh, which is a course that I teach with Coach Boyle, Kevin Carr, and we have 11 other coaches that that coach that with us. It's basically Mike Boyle's brain, <laughs> his philosophy. Every regression or, and progression that we use in the gym to train hundreds of athletes daily in the summertime, all packaged in a way that's very consumable for each trainer uh, to learn the basics and that's what it comes down to it's fundamentals it's basics and then you can build on top of that the final thing here sorry this is a long (laughs) intro holy crap Uh, other i recently created a product that i've called exercise checklists and the idea came from checklist manifesto by atul Gawande. in hospitals they had a very high infection rate And he wanted to find a way that they could decrease the infection rate without spending a ton of money or millions of dollars. And how do you do it in places that don't have the financial resources or the equipment needed to stay clean right, or keep things sterilized? And it came down to they made a checklist with, I think, eight to ten things on it. And it decreased post surgical complications by 36% and deaths by 47%. And all they did was have like an eight to 10 question checklist. Like we washed our hands. We did all these things and saved 50% of lives, which is just mind boggling to me. And when I read that, I realized that what we were doing at MBSC with all of our athletes was essentially a checklist for each exercise. So if you can do an inline lunge on the FMS. Okay, great. You check that box. Now, can you do a bodyweight split squat? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, you can do a bodyweight split squat. Can you do a loaded split squat with weight? Yes. Okay, next box. So, it's kind of like the uh, colors of the belts in martial arts, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody comes in, they start as a white belt, right? It's not like, hey, Neil, you look like you're an orange belt. And Dennis, you look like you're a black belt and Brendan, you're a green belt. So welcome. It's your first day. We're just going (laughs) to, everyone's going to do whatever I think that they look like they can do. Uh, And then here, here's a black belt exercise. Oh, wait, you can't do that. Well, too bad. Well, figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. So what the checklist do is it ensures that everyone starts as a white belt and then works their way to a black belt. So technically you have to earn your black belt exercises. What's a black belt exercise? It's a barbell back squat. It's an overhead squat. It's a a clean. It's anything that probably you lift heavy or move fast. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a way to build to each of those exercises. So with my exercise checklist product, I've taken 17 different exercises or movement patterns per se, and I've built out checklists. So what do you need from a mobility and stability standpoint? And I'm privy to the functional movement screen personally then what do you need from a warm-up standpoint what do you need from a patterning standpoint motor control strength fitness and then finally like what's the end goal Um, and i think that's the thing that we are personally missing in the fitness industry are standards um, and and putting a number on those standards so Dan John does a wonderful job of this, and he has, I want to I want to say he has, like, silver, platinum, and something else that he categorizes, but he does it for high school athletes. So, a male high school athlete that plays football should be able to bench press their body weight for five reps or, or something like that. And I said, oh, my, this is... This would be really really valuable if we could all agree on standards mm-hmm. as as a company at MBSC and CFSC certified functional strength coach but also as an industry. Cuz like what's good? Like who it, it's really hard to know what's good. It's it's context dependent, right? The answer is always it depends. But mm. how do we kind of try to take the context out of it but create some foundations that say, okay, if you have these foundations, then you are able or allowed to pursue the black belt exercises and your likeliness of getting hurt is slim. As opposed to like, well, I don't know, it looks like you could probably do it, so uh, try it. Or, uh, hey, it's your first day. Like, here, like, that's this is the workout on the whiteboard, guys. like. <laughs> have at it like good luck i i know i just met you but and i haven't checked any boxes but here you go like this is the workout um so and that that type of training we still see and it it scares me that we're still giving out programs like that so that's why i created this checklist product so i guess we, we've we got a bunch of areas we can begin we got we got mbsc and what my time there We've got uh, massage therapy, movement as medicine, which is a whole other avenue. We've got the book. We've got the checklists. We've got certified functional strength coach, and my wife and I are trying to open a gym in the town that we're in now. All right. So. We got about five hours then.
0: <laughs> yeah. You guys got time time for that? <laughs> That's what I love about this is just conversation yeah. and just see where things go. Your checklist, I love your checklist. I think it's something that definitely should be standardized for, for coaches, trainers across the industry. And I, I think a lot of us have have wanted that for quite a long time. Uh, some type of standard formats.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it, it it's also started in the airline industry. Right. Yeah. And I think that's in the book, the checklist manifesto book where they didn't have a standard, right. You know, people were crashing and dying and all of a sudden they put a checklist in. And then that percentage of, of crashes or of malfunctions just went way down.
1: Actually, that's one of my slides is the first slides about the hospitals. And the second slide is about the airline industries in uh you yeah, 2018, I think there was 44 million flights in the world, and there was one or two crashes, which means you are 11 times more likely to die getting in your car now than you are in a plane. But like you were mentioning, Neil, in the 70s and 80s, that wasn't the case because they didn't have a checklist. And it was funny because in the book, I think they start the story that they use is that they forgot to check that the plane had enough gas in it and they ran out of gas. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like those, that's like, right. But if you think about it, flying a plane and doing surgery are such high level, right? Engineering too. So engineers use checklists to build skyscrapers, right? Cause mm-hmm. you can't put the roof on if you didn't build <laughs> the foundation and all that first, there are such high level activities that you miss the small details So that's what I was trying to convey in the beginning is that like, if you think about it, somebody's health in your hands, if you take your job seriously as a trainer, then a checklist can be very helpful to keep the small things in line so that you don't miss them when you're trying to do the big things and the complex things like dealing with people. And so there's, there's a lot of truth to that. It's very, very complex, but it's the small things that end up causing us a lot of trouble like running out of gas while you're flying an airplane, (laughs) which is hopefully somebody would check. Right. But that's in the seventies and eighties. They didn't, it was, Hey, you guys ready to go? Thumbs up. Let's go.
0: Yeah. What you said uh, alluded to as far as flying and surgery, the top level skills, top level operations, but as trainers too, we have that same responsibility when we're working with people because you do, if you are negligent or careless, you can ultimately end up putting that person on a surgeon's table. And I talk about that when I teach other coaches, that that is something that must be, in my opinion, at the forefront of your thought process. It's like you said, do no harm. And you as a coach or a trainer, as the industry should realize that that is really needs to be at the forefront. Yeah.
1: And if that is at the forefront, the way that you choose exercises changes. So if my thought process is like, okay, my number one goal here is like, I can't get this person injured. They've got to go to work on Monday and they still want to play with their kids. We probably shouldn't swing sledgehammers today, or we probably shouldn't do overhead squats for a one rep max. If those are the things that I'm trying to avoid, I'm going to pick safer exercises that still have, right, good bang for their buck, right? A goblet squat. If you do a 50% goblet squat or 50% body weight goblet squat, so if I'm 200 pounds, that's 100 pounds for 10 reps, you're probably pretty fit and you probably move pretty well. And the likeliness of injury is much slimmer than me putting a bar over your head or jumping on top of something, which again, it, it might be the right thing for, the professional athlete or somebody who is complete competing in those things, but it's not going to be the best thing for the the risk of your average everyday person who wants to continue to work out. And Kevin Carr actually did one of my favorite talks or one of my favorite talks of his is his movement, is medicine talks, talk is, and he opens with that, there's a slide that says 100 versus four. If you see somebody twice a week for 50 weeks, you can make 100 impressions on that person. The average person sees their physician, their doctor, four times a year. And that number is skewed Mm -hmm. because people who are healthy see their doctor once or not at all. And then people who are sick see them 10, 15, 20 times. So you, as a healthcare Trainers almost need to think of themselves as healthcare professionals. You have so many more imprints that you can make on that person than even their doctor does. So that means that makes you, you a healthcare professional and just as important. Um, and yeah, so if you start thinking with that mindset or that, that framing of, uh, do no harm, but like the, my most important thing is that this person can come back and do this workout again on Thursday or Friday then the way you choose exercises changes for sure because I I wouldn't select certain things (laughs) if I always had that in the front of my mind.
2: Yeah. And I think people need to realize that they're playing, you need to play the long game. Yeah. You're not looking for quick results. You're looking for a lifetime of health, you know, and fitness.
1: Right. And that's why I, I actually, so the title of my coaching rules books has a long career in fitness. And I wanted to emphasize long because 10, 15 years ago, This wasn't really a career per se that people would do for 20, 30, 40 years and retire from. It was a hobby or I train people on the side on the weekends when I come home from my real job. Now there's like this, holy crap, like I could actually do this for 40 years in the book I, I have that I'm slated to retire in 2055, which means I would be training people for 46 years. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you think of it, like if you want to be in it for the long game, you better keep people healthy. You better keep people happy or they're not going to want to work with you. Like if, if this is a long-term career, then that's how you need to think. Um, If it's a short-term thing and like you're doing it for fun on the side, like, okay, then it's not, it's not your career. You, you might not go down those educational avenues or, but for those of us who it is our career, uh, you better keep those things top top of mind.
0: It's always kind of surprising when you, t- it, and it's true, when you tell people that you're a trainer or a coach, they always say, oh, what else do you do? Right. Yeah. You know, oh, what's your real job? Or or they're really surprised when you tell them that it is your career. They're shocked. They're like, you can do that full time? And you're like, right. yeah, I've been doing it for almost 20 years full time.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the that- second question is usually, do you get to wear pajamas to work? and the answer is yes
0: (laughs) Yes, (laughs) especially if it's six in the morning i just roll out of bed brush my teeth throw a hat on and out the door i go yeah (laughs) which having a garage gym would make it even more you'd just be right it's actually dangerous like i i'm gonna show up i'm gonna show up late (laughs) to my own session (laughs) Dude, but you, can't tra- you can't use you can't use traffic traffic as an yeah. excuse you're uh, like oh. especially in the bay area it always works <laughs> right you always um, had that to fall back on now yeah. that it's your own garage, you're like uh, uh yeah yeah i just uh <laughs> i didn't want to be here uh <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, i know you you were looking at on uh, at your website uh you had on there a comment that said that things happen for a reason and when, you, when I read that on your site, it, it took me to the point of you wanting to open up your facility, but having to change due to the current situation and, and actually seeing that play out from what you say on your website to actually real-life transition.
1: Yeah. So, we, I mean, we discussed it a lot. I, I guess there's a lot of things in life where you, I, you, where you have to move on and adapt and mm-hmm. you go, you go to the next best thing. I big, big fan of Ryan Holiday's work and the, the the Daily Stoic. It's a very stoic mindset that you you move on, you adapt, you do the next best thing. Like you, you're not beat. You know, there's just something else that you have to do. So yeah, we looked into because I actually had thought about there's a gym down the road. He actually just kind of rebuilt it during COVID because he had the time to do it and they're opening up soon. So we actually thought about, okay, hey, we could go and ask him, say, hey, we would like, we're not opening our space now, at least for another year, because from a business perspective, it wouldn't make sense to open at 30% capacity, uh, especially we wouldn't last <laughs> a year. Yeah. We wouldn't last long enough. Um, so we thought about that and going and working with them and just saying, hey, I'll pay you 20% of each of my sessions to use your space. Uh, and then we called the, the town planning division and said, hey, we wanna open this gym and they have a bunch of rules that you can't have massage, you can't do spa, you can't do, you can't do a bunch of certain things, but what you can do is you can do educational teaching. And I said, hey, as, if I'm gonna do one-on-one personal training and I'm gonna educate people on fitness, they said, yeah, that's totally fine. So <laughs> we lucked out there, we got the permit. We're, we, so I, we had put aside quite a bit of money for that. So what we did is we took out $20,000 of that. We are putting it into the garage and equipment. We're getting painted this week. The floor is getting done. I had the electrical done last week. So these were all things I was going to have to do for the other spot that was going to be 3,000 square feet but under somebody else's roof, I was going to be renting it for about $6,000 a month. Um, and that was going to be 3,000 square feet of gym with 900 square feet of outdoor turf. We've just taken it and micro-sized it, and now we're going 400 square feet, same exact layout, just... We, got a, we still got a Kaiser uh, in my garage, which I'm pumped about. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. I bought a, I actually I bought a torque tank. Oh, oh did you really? Oh, oh, nice. Yeah, well, so I have a sled... For turf, mm-hmm. but we don't have turf here, and I'm not going to put turf down and technically I'm not supposed to use my driveway because it's not considered part of uh, the the garage square footage okay, so we actually have a, a thirty yard spot on the side of our house that's all concrete, so I bought a torque tank, and we 're just going to torque tank up and down the side of the house instead of buying and plus you can do a lot of other cool stuff with it mm. um, I didn't want one, but I'm not mad that I got one now it's just a little. A little more expensive than a regular sled uh, but yeah so again we we take we took that money and then what we did with the rest of the money is we refinanced our house and we put it into that instead so you know we took lemons made lemonade and paid down our house more we got a better interest rate and now we're still opening our gym just in a different way so the website was all set up and we just changed a little bit of it and we're going to do one-on-one and two-on-one or couples and, and buddy training to start. Cause that's like you were saying, Dennis, before the call, it's fine to do. I mean, it's 400 square feet of garage. So we'll be social distance the whole time. And it's one or two people at a time, which it's a very controlled environment that we can clean and whatnot. So yeah, that's uh that's our plan. That's how it came about. And that's how we're, we're making it happen and moving forward. And And the other thing too, is it always leaves the door open to next year, right? So next year comes around, maybe we grow out of our garage business and we got 20 clients coming into the house each week. Like it makes it even easier to go open up the bigger space later instead of opening with 3000 square feet and praying that people sign sign up.
2: Yeah.
0: It's hard because you do get emotional. You want oh. certain things. And it's like you said, being stoic and really trying to just look at things logically uh, is is really beneficial. But it's hard. We're human. So we tend to, we get disappointed. We get frustrated. We, we anticipated something. We want something really bad. But life, just the universe, life, whatever you want to say. Uh-huh. Is gonna put stuff out there, gonna make changes, and really, uh, most times when you look back at it, you know, five, six, ten years down the road, you look back and you go, I- "I'm glad that happened." At the time, I was irritated, but looking back, that needed to happen for this next thing to open up and the next chapter to take place so it's something to keep in mind for listeners out there that maybe are upset that their 2020 plans got skewed and I mean for company wise for us I mean it's it's completely changed what we expected to do this year too so uh and and not in a bad way yeah we just had to shift gears and and adapt yeah, yeah
1: CFSC too. Like, just like you guys, I mean, our, our educational company, we're doing our first live event in July in Ohio. And then our next live event isn't till August 8th. And then we have one August 26th. But right now we are supposed to have right perform better. We're supposed to to have probably 30, 40, 50 courses already by this time this year, just like you guys are probably supposed to have Mm -hmm. 10 15, 20 courses already done, and um, we don't really start back again until October, and who knows if that will even happen. So, yeah, we've had to pivot as well, and we've thankfully have the online certification for CFSC, which we just happened to open in January by pure luck. It's not ideal, but it's the next best thing, and it works for now, and we're allowing those people... If they take it online, they can come to any live course for free and just take it or they don't have to pay again and they won't get tested if they did it online. So yeah, you guys had to pivot. I know Dennis, you taught a private course and everyone was siloed in their little space and...
0: Yeah, and you know, and and I talked to Kevin. Yeah, I talked to Kevin about the online because we're going to be releasing our course online, and cool. same cool. thing. Uh, if you take the online course, and like you said, there's always going to be people that want the the live course. Uh, letting them know that you're more than welcome to take the live course if if and when you can make it. Well, if you've completed the online course, uh, yeah. because there is just there's that special element that you just are missing out on mm. when you're just staring at a computer screen and watching video you know so you want to be able to have that both experiences available to ever whatever coach wants to take your course
1: yeah and i really encourage people to to watch it in a gym so they can do it and experience it and actually we send a workout program for them to do that has phases one two three and four of all of our checklists our regressions progressions like everything that they're going to do in the course. Cause as fitness professionals, we are kinesthetic learners. Like, I mean, that's the reason why we love doing this. And when you do it physically, it's almost imprinted on your brain, as opposed to like you're saying to sitting on a computer and writing out notes. Like I would much rather somebody take two months to finish the online course and watch each video in the, in their gym or at home with weights so they can actually do and experience those things. Uh, Which is again, why they come to the live events. (laughs) Uh, But the option is there. And again, yeah, we had to pivot. And that's the reality we live in now. And in the end, like you were saying hindsight, when we look back five years from now, we'll all say like, well, going virtual is one of the best things we did. Now we got both options and people who live in middle of uh, nowhere, Alaska, who can't pay $500, 600 for a round-trip flight, hotel, food, mm-hmm. and take four days off from work to come to our course, can now take the course and maybe someday they get to come to a live one. In hindsight, it'll, it'll be one of the best things that happens to not just us as companies, but education, I think, in general. I think we're learning from colleges and high schools and that virtual learning isn't so bad, it's not perfect, but there are ways to utilize it in a, in a good way, so.
2: Are you guys doing
1: anything on Zoom? Like live certifications on Zoom? Or no, so we've thought about that. So I know Functional Movement Screen is doing that. I know uh, Thomas Myers did mm-hmm. their, their course online. But again, so I didn't do Thomas Myers course, because that's something I would want to go to and physically Mm -hmm. do. And I didn't want it to be ruined by online, to be (laughs) honest. Um, That's just me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've done a bunch of zoom webinars. For free. So we let everybody ask questions in our CFSC group, let them pick what webinars they wanted. And then we did around an hour and a half, two hour webinars and just gave them away free. So it was a way for us to elaborate on some things, answer some questions, but also kind of share our, our product with people who might not necessarily be in the CFSC, who now know us about these webinars and whatnot. So that's the only real way we've used Zoom. Um, Our online course, if you take our online course at the end of it, instead of doing a practical exam live where we score you, you send us in 10 videos of you coaching, demoing, and giving regressions and progressions of 10 different exercises. And then we send you back feedback and say, hey, on this drill, you need to improve your cues here or your back wasn't flat on this. Um, or you need to speak up louder, or you used a bunch of cues that made no sense. So we give them feedback on their 10 videos and then you get scored on those videos and then you get certified or not. So that's how we've gotten around the, how do we make this a subjective test? So can you coach? Because that's the beauty of our course is that it's, you experience it and then you show us that you can actually coach, which is, as you guys know, is different than other certifications where you go and you take the test in a computer lab, and then you're certified to train people, which again, it it scares me that (laughs) you don't need to have any competency from a coaching or physical standpoint, and you don't have to have any progressions or regressions or system in place or standards that we were talking about, right? Where all professions that are licensed have standards They have, there's a certain way you do things, there's protections and liabilities in place to not hurt people, but fitness does not have those, which is great because the barriers are for entry are low. So that means anyone can do it and it won't cost you a lot of money or time, but that's also a bad thing because that means a lot of people who don't know what the hell they're doing or don't want to make it their career are telling people how to do fitness. So... There's goods and good and bad to everything. So yeah, that's that's we haven't done web we haven't done Zoom from a coaching standpoint or a seminar standpoint, but we have done it from webinars uh, to answer questions for people, and those have been a huge hit. Some more than others. Our functional anatomy one was the biggest, where we had twelve hundred people sign oh, up, wow. which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, how to read research uh, didn't get as many people. Oh
0: but no,
1: no, but. I don't, I mean, how to read research isn't super fun, but, uh, we did have a hundred people stay on for the whole two hours. So it's good. It's, it was, it's good for us to also see what people want and also kind of forces us out of our comfort zones, like podcasts and webinars and all that was not something that I was doing before, um, because I was doing coaching stuff or traveling to teach. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's given me time to sit and speak with you guys and, to really test myself in those waters running webinars and like I, I have this this checklist product and this book coming out which I would have never spent the time to sit here and talk to you guys about unless we were in the situation we were in so another silver lining
0: in regards to be, being an author what are some of the experiences that you've encountered trying to uh, get your book up and ru- uh, written published uh what are some maybe some things that you kind of didn't expect to encounter
1: well i always used to say with blog posts because i had a, a, a blog that i updated very consistently for four to five years and i used to say that the blog part is easy the idea part is easy it's the formatting it's the editing it's the spell checking it's the rewriting it's like that's the hard part so i actually have had all of these rules kind of laid out for probably the last five, six years. And I've been adding to them and subtracting them. So the rules were easy. The just like getting it out on paper, like each each rule has about a Instagram size length post to it. So it's about 500 to 750 characters. Okay. Um, so it's not super long. Um, but the hard part about that is there's so much I could say, but how do you say it simply? Yeah. So that's been probably the most difficult part for me, but editing and having a publisher was, I, I was going to self publish. If you can find somebody who will publish with you or find an editor, do it. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I understand training, but I i am not a good writer And and having your friends read it is nice, but your friends are not book editors. So I definitely suggest hiring an editor. And if you can, find a publishing company that will do it luckily i have larie draper who is also uh dan john mike boyle a great Mm -hmm. cooks publisher so i reached out to her through coach boyle and she was more than happy to look into i actually the first book that the first two books i actually presented to her she said no (laughs) oh so yeah this third book she has thankfully she wanted more coaching stuff and not so much uh stuff on the programming side or stuff written for the general public. She wanted stuff for coaches. So I'll write those books later. But the editing part, there's a book by Richard Dowis called A Reader-Friendly Writing. So okay. think of functional training. Now think about functional writing. So that's, oh. that's what this book is. It's his whole premise, he opens with, am the king of like functional writing. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is genius. This, this speaks to me. He <laughs> doesn't want to be, that, man. yeah. Right. So I, Jenny, my wife, uh, introduced me to the book and then I read it and I was like, Oh my God, great. So now I have to rewrite everything I've written. My Laurie sent me back my first draft, which is just a big dagger in the heart. Cause you, right. It's the red pen. You see red well I mean, it's on the computer, so red ink or yeah. red letters just everywhere, and I're like, oh, great, and she said I had to rewrite my whole introduction because it was awful, um, <laughs> so yeah, you kind of have to have thick skin you she has my best interest in mind, and she's an editor and a publisher, and she knows, so I had to rewrite my whole introduction, even though I thought it was good, so today is going through all my adverbs, so basically. Any word that ends in ly isn't necessarily needed, so you're you're using adverbs as a way to emphasize something, but if you use like words like so the ones I use most commonly are probably consistently apply only and I realize when you type in lly into the find search box and you go oh my I use 20 30 adverbs in just like a short little paragraph i'm like oh my god so (laughs) i've had to go back and delete a bunch of things so adverbs are good in the sense that occasionally if you use them correctly they add emphasis it's like a swear right like oh "Oh, shit like sometimes a good shit is it puts emphasis on something but if you swear every other word, like a truck driver, it loses its emphasis and it, it gets annoying and you sound kind of stupid, right? Like mm-hmm. that you're swearing so much. So sometimes it, a good emphasis, a good emphasized swear is proper. Same thing with an adverb. So I've just learned so much about the writing process and being almost forced to look at my writing reflectively, whereas on a blog post, you do, you don't get that. You're just you write a blog you have somebody read it for you and they go yeah it's okay like it's good like change this letter here and that letter there and um yeah the writing process is is much more involved and focused than i had imagined um but i knew based off of my english grades in school that i wasn't a good writer um not my cup of tea so that, I haven't, I've really just learned a lot about the writing process, I guess. But I already knew that I was going to spend a lot of time editing and rewriting and whatnot. So, it's been fun. And it's anxiety producing because I know I have this file sitting on my desktop that needs to be edited and I've read my book probably 350 times now and I'm just, I'm sick of it. Like, that's why I ended <laughs> being, when you guys, when you said, you, oh, you're an author in the beginning, I was like, oh my god, I'm an author, like. I can't even remember what the book is about. What am I? I don't know what my rules are. I've just read them so many times that I've just, I basically go blank when I start reading it. So yeah, if you ever have anything you want to say or write, do it. And it doesn't have to be a book. I mean, blog posts, Facebook's good for the the long written word. Um, I know Dennis, like your story that you shared the other day um, about yourself, like that was a wonderful piece that, Didn't have to be a book, didn't have to be a blog post, but it's a way to share that information. And having a book or something physical is something I've always personally wanted to have done. And just the form that I was writing this in wouldn't have really been good for (laughs) just one long blog post or whatever. So that's where the book came in. So uh, I very much have the mind, I love the Ben Franklin quote that if you want to have a book to write, have something to write about. So I just feel like- I've wanted to write a book for a long time, but over the last 12 years, I've really like gathered all this information that I finally have something I think of value that I can put into a book and then present that to people as something that they can consume. Because um, I get that question. I was like, well, I want to write a book. Like, what should I write about? I'm like, well, I don't know. What do you, what have you been doing for the last 20 years? Like, <laughs> yeah. then, then you, that's what you should be writing about is, is your experience and the way you see it that's been my process and it's been interesting. I I've enjoyed it though. And I'm, I'm excited to get the book like off the, my plate and not have to think about it for a <laughs> while. But I'm also excited to start the next one, <laughs> which is addicting. I know Have you ever read uh Stephen King's on writing. No, no, no. Oh, it's a phenomenal book just about the writing process and how writer, why writers are looked at as crazy because like he says, they are crazy to, Because to sit and stare at a blank page and try to, you know, take this and put it on there, uh, you have to be crazy to do it. So after this, I've kind of realized like, oh man, like I see where the anxiety comes from and uh, why a lot of artists or a lot of the most famous artists were considered psychotic or had psychosis or alcoholic drug like they and he goes into that actually in the book if anyone wants just an interesting read Stephen King's on writing um he used to drink a 30 rack a day just to get through his writing process and he wrote Cujo completely drunk he doesn't remember writing any uh, any of the book Cujo oh so he would drink a 30 rack a night and then he switched to t- uh, Budweiser Tall Boys and would drink 20 16 or 22 ounce tall boys a day and write and because the writing process was so mentally draining for him that alcohol was the only and so yeah he wrote Cujo completely inebriated and then the whole second half of the book is him going to rehab and then coming back out of rehab (laughs) and, and learning to write again without these props in order to get through the writing process so just to give you a little kind of idea of how mind challenge it is to to write something
2: i would imagine it would just take so much discipline because if you get stuck you're like ah screw this i'll come back to it later and then you do it again the next day you're like oh, i'm I'm stuck yeah i'll go do something else it'll come to me later and you could just you could get in this this flow of not doing anything
1: Right, and th- and if you think about it, that's their profession. Like, if they don't write anything, they yeah. they can't live. They don't make any money. They don't like they don't have other jobs. Like, I'm I'm a trainer on the side. I have massage. I have clients. Like, if I didn't write a book, I'd be fine. So, yeah. uh, but if Stephen King doesn't write a book <laughs> and meet his deadline, so when he signs a book deal for a million dollars and he doesn't get his book deadline in, he has to give the million dollars back. So oh, that yes. that would uh. Lead me to maybe drink a few beers sometimes, <laughs> um, but yeah, the the plight of the writer in that book is is and just people, artists in general, Van Gogh, and it's it's very very interesting. It's a very it's a fun read, even if you have no interest in writing something. So. Well,
0: it's it's like you said. We referred back to that little Facebook post that I did mm-hmm. last, a couple of weeks ago. I, that was. Quite the emotional ordeal because I realized that I I didn't want to preach to people. I just want to share a story. But that when I look at it, that took three plus hours. Yeah. And I just sat there and went, I can't even imagine doing like it. It is over a thousand pages. Yeah. Like, that's insane. Like my thing was like What six paragraphs? And that took me three freaking hours to do.
2: And that stuff like happened to you, right? know, whereas it, you have to like you're conjuring something up, and you're like, okay, there's this clown. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. I'm like, I remember the first time when it came out. I bought. I love his favorite author is Stephen King, and I got the book and went a thousand pages. What the hell is this? Like, (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah, paperweight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll,
2: just, I'll just watch the movie. <laughs> I'll just watch it.
0: Because <laughs> you knew with Stephen King, it was eventually going to be a movie. So, yeah, but, you're yeah. kind of like, I'll just wait for him then to make the movie out of it. But it, it's it's insane to think about how many books he has done over his career.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And and that's a lot of sitting. I probably, probably started out at a typewriter and then now at a computer and just like trying to make stuff up and like you were saying, you know, like continually just pump it out. Like, even if you don't want to, or like, he has a part of his book uh, that I really, really like. And I say it often actually now he calls it killing your darling. So when you're, when you write something, you write this, like, Oh man, this is like the coolest character. This is the best plot line. This is the coolest rule. Like I have to include this because it's super important to me and everyone else should think it's important too. And then your editor reads it and they're like, no, this is shit. Like you got to cut this out. Or one of your friends reads it and they're like, Hey, this is awful. Like, you're like, but, but what about this, this and this? Like, I thought it was awesome. Like, and he calls it killing your darlings. And it's like the most painful thing is to go back through your writing and be like, well, so I had to cut probably 10 of my rules. I'm like, I love these rules. They're awesome. And then, people would read it and be like, this rule sucks. Or is like, this this rule's not, and like, it makes no sense. Like, you're not going anywhere with this or you already said this before. Like, you got to get rid of it. And I'm like, no, I can't get rid of it. I wrote it like it is." So that's one of the hardest parts about writing is killing your darlings. I mean, it's the same thing with a lot of things. Like you write an email, right? And then you go back and read it and you're like, yeah, I just got to get rid of this whole paragraph. But I just spent three hours writing it well, it, it's not productive. It's not worth it. It's, and so that's one of those things. Yeah, you got to you gotta learn to cut cut out some things. Even though you think that you like them, it might not be what your audience wants.
2: I think we've encountered that with uh, some filming sometimes. We'll be filming stuff for Stick Mobility. And yeah. maybe we say a little bit too much and then we'll send it over to um, you know Alistair and he'll look at it and go, ah, you guys should cut this out. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, cut it out.
0: Yeah. Like, Damn, okay. We get that a lot. So we do
2: it again. <laughs> Like, you no, know, cut this out now, you know, and do this a little bit better. And you just, you kind of got to go with it. And like yeah. you said, have thick skin and not, and you just, you, you can't get emotional about it. You can't care.
1: Yeah. It it does hurt in the beginning. So you take your, uh, you take your cuts, you take your blows and then, uh, then you move on and you, you fixed it. Well, And if you frame it as like, this only makes it better. That's, that's why we're doing it. Then it's easy to, it's easier to swallow. It's not easy to swallow, but it's easier to say like, Okay, even though, like I said, my introduction, I was like, I really like this introduction and my preface, like I thought my preface was great. She's like, nah, you got to combine the two together and get rid of a bunch of this stuff. I was like, oh man, all right, well, okay, if that's going to make the book better and more readable and people will enjoy it more and will sell more books, then so be it. I've got to cut my darling, cut my losses and, and
0: move on, so... We've experienced it with the podcasting, too. Just getting the podcast out there, voice only before we started doing the video. Uh, Now that we can have guests like yourself on, this is just, it's just a much better flow, much better interaction. But when we first started, you know, we, we had some podcasts that we spent an hour recording and then afterwards went, Oh, that was shitty. <laughs> like,
2: well, there's we about we twenty minutes that. of twenty minutes of usable content in there.
0: <laughs> we like, oh. so we're like, delete, scratch that, and we're like, oh shit, we just wasted an hour and a half, two hours of our time. Yep. But you have to have that ability to just yeah. sit back and realize, yeah, I can't, I can't release this. This just right. doesn't have enough content. It doesn't have enough value. Yeah. Uh, to the average listener, and that's ultimately what you got to really think about.
2: I think you have to look at it as practice too. Like you know, yep. we're, we're new into this, or you're new into writing. You're going to make a ton of mistakes, and yeah, you just have to be open to that criticism.
1: Yeah, you you've got to have the cojones to to start and do it, and then you've got to have the skin and the cojones to <laughs> <Yeah>. accept <laughs> that it might not go very well. And that's the like you're saying the only way. you can get better at it and improve so watch having uh larie send back my drafts with all these red marks like it hurts but i'm learning so much about like where you you use prepositions where you don't how to use that apostrophe s thing on a bunch of i was like man i've been using that wrong all my life like i had no idea um how to use like the the dash marks? What should and should not be in parentheses? How to use quotations? Like all stuff that I probably learned in school, but I never had context around it that I enjoyed enough to keep me uh, focused. Like, hey, I'm writing my own book, so now I have to care about this stuff. <laughs> um, whereas in school, they make you read a bunch of stuff that I mean, I read as much as I can now all year long. Whereas in school, you couldn't get me to. I never read any of those books. I'd buy the spark notes or I would just fail the, cause I, I didn't enjoy the books. I didn't want to read them, but now I have stuff that I want to read that I'm choosing to read. I'll read all day. It's interesting, but you've, you've just got to kind of take, take your punches and, and just keep getting better. And I'm hoping, you know, my next book will be even better than that. And just like, I, I mean, you guys, you must experience this when you teach a course, like every course I teach, I, I continually get better just because I, my cues get, more on point or somebody asks me a question that I can then share at the next course. Um, or somebody shares something about what I'm doing that they're not understanding. And so that the more you do it, I mean, the first, I, I would love to watch a video of me teaching my first CFSC and then me teaching one now, like I'm sure it's night and day, but you had to start at some point too. So I, I also don't want people to be so afraid that they don't want to start, but also don't be so confident that you're good at it. Like the Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> um, don't, don't think you're going to be good at it at the start and find people who are willing to tell you, you suck. Cause that's, that's why you hire an editor. Cause if I send my book to all my friends, they're gonna be like, Oh, great job, Brendan, like really good book, like awesome. And like, but my editor, she it's in her best interest also as my publisher to tell me that it sucks so that she sells more books too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So those are the people I want to surround myself with, especially when I'm trying to learn something.
0: It's like those Simon Cowells. You need that person that's going to give, let you right. hear what you need to hear, but you have to be receptive and willing to take that information and not be defensive and push back. So you have to be willing to take that uh, information and process and go, you're right, this person does have – a better perspective, a different perspective, not, not necessarily better, but a but different perspective, expert perspective, depending on who it is. And they're giving you their feedback because they want you to succeed. They want you to be better at what you're trying to do. Right. And we always kind of joke, like every coach, no matter how good they are in, their, in this industry, at one point you sucked. Like we just, we did. We all, if we, we, every single one of us can look back at that very first year, we were a trainer and went and literally go, holy shit. (laughs) You know, it's, it's inevitable. Right. I can't believe I did that. There's so (laughs) So many many of those. There were so many of those. And it's kind of funny because I, I've told other people. Coaches, you know, if, if I had a client that I trained twenty years ago and he or she came said, Hey, I want to train with you again, the very first thing I would do is apologize that yeah. to that person. Right. L- let's just get that out of the way. I need to say I'm sorry. I I was shitty. Uh, I didn't I know. I used you up. as a guinea pig. <laughs> right. I had no Here's idea. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you were a guinea pig but you were <laughs> this. Is, yeah. So now we're going to, this experience is going to be way better. Uh, and so that's a big thing there too. On your site, it did say, okay, so we're going to get off topic here. Okay. But it did fine. say you're an ice cream lover.
1: I am that I am. What Humphrey, are your Humphrey Shlokom's breakfast special is Humphrey. my favorite Humphrey Slocum's in San Francisco breakfast special is oh. uh, malted milk and cornflakes. Can you only get it in San Francisco? Uh, yeah, I don't think they sell. I don't think they sell. Yeah. I don't think they have like a national. Oh, with cornflakes on it. Is that with cornflakes in it, in it, it. Uh Uh, it's, it's amazing. Get that nice little crunch. sorry jess i interrupted you before you finished <laughs> no, question, no 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 i was so excited to share that with you <laughs> he, he was like yes I'm
0: yes you know.
1: ice cream um but okay so that's the best flavor i've ever had and the best best like ice cream overall experience at a like ice cream shop. okay that you can only get there Humphrey humphreys in san francisco
0: i buy into the philosophy you only live once uh, that's yep. just my thing. So you know, it's it's how much do you are you going to really deprive yourself? How much are you really going to to experience and and enjoy? Uh, you know, everything in moderation. I'm
1: I'm an eighty twenty. I everyone asks like, how's your diet? Eighty twenty. Sunday afternoon through Friday afternoon, pretty pretty good. I'm I'm on. Friday night through Sunday morning pancakes, cereal, (laughs) ice cream. And I recently told someone that if you told me that ice cream and barbecue sauce would take two years off my life, I'd still eat them. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'd take the minus two years to have barbecue. I I love barbecue sauce. And I put on everything. Yeah, everything. Potatoes, vegetables, every type of meat. All meats, doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> a lot of people are uh, appalled by that, but <laughs> <laughs> usually it's ketchup. But I, I know a lot of people that do that with ketchup, like ketchup on mm-hmm. everything. Mine's barbecue sauce. So
0: <laughs> well, Neil and I, when we went to Cincinnati, Chipped, we, he said, hey, we got, you got to go to this place to get ribs. And then he said, you have to get the Grater's black raspberry ice cream. So it's a okay. Cincinnati Grater's. Uh, they actually sell it at Whole Foods. Ooh, yeah, that's like blackberry chip. Oh, right? it's blackberry with cho- with chunks, and I'm not. We're talking chunks. Yeah, like like legit. big like logs. Like some of them, you're like, what the hell? How'd that get in there? <laughs> but it's weird because it's not like chocolate, which is typically really hard when they put it in ice cream. This actually has some like soft bite to it, it's which not is freezing. Re- yeah. Urgent. And so we went to, went to the barbecue place, got some ribs, and then we ordered the ice cream. You oh, went, was, like, was I'm really just close. enjoying it, and I look over, and he's already done. And I'm like, <laughs> did you even bother tasting that? He's like, it was fantastic. I'm like, like I'm well, not even happy. That's right. <laughs> I already ordered the second one, Dennis. Grater's is a Cincinnati local, just like the one yeah. that you were talking about on Chicago. And, uh, yeah, the black... Raspberry okay. chip chocolate, yeah. If you get go to Whole Foods, you'll see it in their freezer section. I would highly recommend you get a container of um, that. I, I think will.
1: You'll uh, like that. I'll send you to a uh, a video of me taste testing it. Let me know what one you bite think about it. one bite and I'll let you know what I think
0: uh, uh, to this day I blame chip I like dude you I hold you fully responsible <laughs> for my addiction to this stuff, so it is kind of funny, funny but yeah if you, I, get,
1: if you get a chance to go to San Francisco find hum- Humphrey schlocum's breakfast I will. breakfast special it's um, uh, I mean if you like cornflakes it's unreal and they have to keep it in a special freezer in the back because it's made with some sort of cream or milk in it that doesn't freeze totally. So they have to keep it in like a double freezer or in a much colder freezer than regular ice cream. So that oh. the, because if they didn't, it would melt with all the regular ice cream. So it's, it's special. It's that's why it's the special breakfast, but.
0: <laughs> well, I know in Oakland, it's Fenton's is really popular. In Oakland. Yeah. I've
1: had Fenton's in Oakland. you've
0: had Fenton's. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I've been there once. Yep. Yeah, the line was crazy.
1: It's right next door to uh, Emily's Spaghetti Shack. They are known, they have meatballs the size of your head. So every spaghetti dish has two meatballs the size of your head on it. And so I would go to (laughs) Emmy's Spaghetti Shack. So anyone who ever visits me, (laughs) I take them to Emmy's Spaghetti Shack, and then we walk down the street to Fenton's and get a gigantic ice cream the size of your head (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I can't move for a few days. But hey, that's only on Saturdays. It's
0: only on, it's only uh, on Saturdays. i gonna do that the rest of the week. I promise. Any last final thoughts that you would want to share with our listeners? No, I mean I appreciate you
1: guys both having me on. If anyone is interested in learning more about me, uh BrendanRierick at gmail.com or BrendanRurick dot com. Those two places will lead you to everything everywhere. I won't bother you with all the other stuff my name is spelled b-r-e-n-d-o-n and, mm-hmm. not an a there's an o remember mm-hmm. that yep. r-e-a-r-i-c-k so brendanmerick at gmail.com or dot um my tagline is collect moments not things that's the lifestyle i i try to enjoy and try to impart on others so here, here we are we're collecting moments yeah as a, as a company so
0: as a collector of baseball cards and comic uh, books and things like that. It, I finally came around to that thought process about 10 years ago. Yeah. I just finally said, I'm done collecting things because <laughs> it's, it's what's interesting. Is like you two are parents, you're your dad's right. happy belated father's day, by the way Thank you. Um, I am not. And so a lot of me was thinking I'm collecting this stuff, who the hell am I going to leave it for? <laughs> and I think that was a big reason why it just was like, what am I doing? Yeah. Uh, so that's, and that's, like, quite,
1: so, that's quite a, that's quite a like ego deflating moment for you. Right. Like it's it, quite it, a like, Oh wow. Like that. Yeah,
0: it yeah. was because I mean, even this, a lot of the stuff that I have, I, there are, there are moments that I think to myself, I, I'm like, okay, well, who am I going to leave this to? Or right. if, or, and as a collector, you, you, I personally collect things not for the monetary value, but for for the sentimental value. But yes, right. a lot of it does have some really good monetary value. Now it's the question of when do I sell it, and can I get myself to sell it? Like Sherry, Sherry's always like, "You're never gonna sell that."
2: <laughs> like, she <laughs> says it all it the not. time.
0: I'm like, you know, one day I'm gonna sell that, and Sherry's like. Pff whatever. I don't even want to hear that. She's like, <laughs> no, you're going to die. And that thing's still going to be sitting in our house. <laughs> She's going to have to stare at it. So yeah, I, I do love that philosophy. That's uh, that's a great uh, yeah. thing. Collect I love moments.
1: that uh, you you found that freedom.
0: It is. It yeah. really, it was, it was right. free.
1: It was. right. It's not to say you don't appreciate certain things. It's just like, like you're saying, if it has sentimental value or you appreciate it, then it's bringing you a moment but if it's a thing um, that isn't bringing you some sort of satisfaction or some sort of moment or some sort of memory no. it might not be worth worth keeping and if anything it's holding you back
0: exactly um, and so
1: it's funny you say baseball cards that's that was my I had baseball cards I had pokemon cards I had football cards i had and I, that's what I did till I was like twenty twenty two and I'm like what am I what am I doing with all these things? Like what <laughs> I got thirty thousand baseball cards that I just keep looking through over and over and over again and they don't they don't bring me anything. So yeah, I got I got rid of all mine too. And actually I gave away all my Pokemon cards to one of my friend's kids. Even though like like you I was like, oh man, all these hologram cards are worth hundreds of dollars. Like, what am I doing? But this kid like he was five years old. All he wanted to do was play with the Pokemon cards. I'm like, oh man, like he'll enjoy this way more than I'm gonna sit on these in my attic for the rest of my life. So He probably took that hologram card, looked it in. Oh, oh. And you're like oh, <laughs> yeah, put it right in his bike spokes. Yeah, <laughs> you, you kind of,
0: your hand, your hands are trembling as you give the cards away. Like it's withdrawal. You're yeah. like, I don't know if I can physically do this. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It, it is hard. And for people out there that do collect things, they they can. They're right now. They're going. I get it. Like yeah. I know what that feels like. It's it's hard. But yeah, I think it's very uh, freeing. Mm-hmm. And and. Uh, Charlie Weingroff had said to me a few years back, "He's like Dennis. I like to do things that other people haven't experienced." Yeah, and and, yeah. It w- and when he said that, I was like, "I, I get it." Like I get it, you know, uh, you know, climbing, whether it's climbing a mountain, that's, you know, a lot of other people won't do or going to, to a place that a lot of people won't get to it's, those are the kind of things that really give you a lot of uh, satisfaction. And and when you're 80 years old, you can sit back and remember those moments and really think about how much joy they brought.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like it's, it's almost like, right. What, what can go with you and what can't, right. Baseball cards can't go with you, but memories of your trip to Brazil can. So, right, um, that's that's how I or like what lives on in your legacy, like memories that you created with Neil and me in mm-hmm. Brazil, mm-hmm. or your baseball cards, right? Or like you said it, it ain't easy to to drop some of those things, and you don't have to drop all of them. Just be more selective, maybe.
0: Oh very much yeah very true very true yeah, yeah i okay. uh every once in a while i see something i'll be like okay that i'll get but yeah the much more selective cool. on when i do actually get something cuz a lot of it too is uh you know like Sherry will say where the hell are we going to put that in the house that's <laughs> that's like, right that's other <laughs> <there." That's laughs> <whole> thing too
2: <laughs> <You laughs> it right there it's perfect
0: well see <laughs> well no because i collect statues ooh okay cool and so that's uh, yeah, those aren't those aren't tiny like baseball those, cards. Yeah, so uh, you know, he, like my Barry Sanders collection, like I those can go in a box, right? Like I've got I think five thousand Barry Sanders cards, but those yeah. go in a box. Like those are in my closet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when I buy a a thor fighting loki statue <laughs> like that's taking up space and then sherry just looks at me like really where the hell are we going to put that so that sits in the back of my mind too of yeah okay it's going to take up space where am i going to put it you know cuz it's kind of like if you're going to buy something you need to be removing something so it's an yeah, exchange yeah, yeah. kind of right so right. yeah it's fair yeah, buy
1: get one take one away yeah, I like this. We went from
0: training to philosophy. It's great. <laughs> right? That just, uh, that's what we love about this podcast is bringing some information. We, right. we get, definitely got some content out there that I think hopefully our listeners will enjoy, but uh, in a nice, loose atmosphere. That's what we're about, yeah, brother.
1: I love it. Yeah, no, thank you guys for
0: having me. Appreciate and, it. And uh, definitely, we will have you on hopefully more and more. So we appreciate it, brother. Let's do
1: it. Absolutely. Excellent.
0: Until next episode, be good to each other. Peace.